0: Snap Production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zeps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zeps. My pronouns are he, him. I am a gay man, who first came out in early 2000 in a closet, which is ironic and iconic. And I most recently came out exactly one, two and a half hours ago in the Uber to the studio. Really nice driver who just accidentally said wife when I was talking about my kids and I corrected him on the spot because I will not be put in a straight box. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family. James, super excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for coming. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of
0: course, I've been stalking you for a very long time. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us when you first came out and when you last came out.
1: My name is James, my pronouns are he, him. The first time I came out would have been, I don't know, maybe five years ago, it was about 2021. My most recent time, Oh, I, do that's so hard. Because I feel like I just do it in passing, like, oh, yeah. yeah. But the most one that sits with me is probably my Nan um, a couple of months ago. And yeah, because that's like, <laughs> was the most daunting one. Okay. So that's the most one I can remember. But otherwise it's just like, it's probably at work. James Parr is a model, an actor, a triathlete,
0: and he's a below the knee amputee. Since his amputation, James has become a proud advocate for disabled people, and he's using his platform to challenge what we think and know about disability and how it intersects with sexuality. Okay, here's James. Well, we have a lot to unpack. Your name and your face is making its way around the Australian scene in a couple different areas, and I'd like to get to that, but we can't really get there unless we can get a better understanding of who you are, where you came from. That's really important to me. I'll feel more connected to you and the questions that I ask, and then it gives you an opportunity. I think for yourself to think of the whole journey. Because oftentimes we just forget. Yeah. W- where did you grow up? When were you born?
1: So um, I'm 25, so I was born in 1996. Um, and so I grew up in Deniliquin. Very rural, um, you know, the closest like major city from there is um, Echuca, which is on the border of Victoria, New South Wales. Yep, so very yep. country. Um, the population reflecting now like, I find it's more retired old people. Okay. Um, it's like they go there to retire and just to settle. Do you think of that area in retrospect as
0: accepting? Like, were there diverse types of people as far as race or culture is concerned? Or was it very, like, one-note people who are different not really accepted?
1: Mm, yeah. Um, it was very different groups. So, um, Chuka has a lot of First Nations community. Okay. And I, too, am First Nations my dad's side of the family. So I was with them and um look, I only yeah, I only lived there for a couple of years and then went to Cobram. So they're all the same pretty much area. Um Echuca, I wasn't there for long. And then Cobram. I moved there at the end of year nine. And um I wasn't accepted at the start. Um, no one liked me. I actually ran away from my dad Around thirteen, fourteen. Wow. With with just a backpack. You did not. True story. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Do you want to unpack that? Is it? Yeah. Let's go. So, um, what was your childhood like with your dad growing up? Horrible. Okay. <laughs> um, especially after my mum died. Um, around thirteen, I finally was like, I need to leave. Like, I just don't want to be here anymore. And yeah, I went to the phone booth and called my nan on my one 800 reverse and got on my little razor scooter and I ran away.
0: Oh, James, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that you lost your mom so young and I'm sorry that you're up in that situation. Yeah. You don't know when you're young. It becomes your normal. And so to imagine that that was just the script in your head and you thought, well, this is the status quo. I don't know anything else. I'm eight. Yeah. And that would take so long for you to kind of come to terms with the reality of like, well, this is really unsafe, and this is not normal, and I should get yeah. out of
1: here, yeah, come to the point where I was like, this is where the cycle stops. And I just, yeah, I just always wanted better and wanted I just didn't know how to get it, yeah, and then just it come to that time where I was like, all right, I think the best thing for me to do right now is to is to leave and I never wanted to go home. Like even school, I would go to school. I never fucking wanted to go home. It was so hard. Like walking home, I was like, oh, someone want to hang out. Like, Of course.
0: Yeah. If it's not a safe or a loving place, what's the point? Exactly. What came first in like the chicken or the egg story? Um, running away or realizing that you were different sexually?
1: Probably running away. Okay. Um, I don't think in that environment, I sort of had any scope for anything else because my my life and my word was consumed by that and Mm. probably living in fear most of it totally so I don't think I looked or thought about too much else um so is that the chicken or the egg
0: oh good question (sighs) throwing it back on me table is turned I mean that is what I thought having studied psychology I imagined that that was your truth because I often hear it as a textbook Response, which is there's way too much for you in fight or flight to Mm. take into consideration your personal interests or your romantic life. You're like trying to stay alive and you've been gracious enough with your story that we now know that. Mm. So at 13, you run away. Where do you go?
1: Yeah, so my nan picked me up. Then she, um, I had just sort of like reconnected with my dad's sister, so my auntie. And yeah, so I went there. I lived there until I was 18. Um, then I was just like, oh, I have nowhere to go. I just need to get through this. As soon as I was 18, I, I I moved out, so.
0: Wow. So obviously, no reason to sugarcoat
1: it. Not a very great childhood. No, no, no. There um, you know, different aspects of it. But in a way, I'm still so grateful I had that childhood. <laughs> As crazy as it sounds, because I wouldn't be where I was today and I wouldn't be doing what I'm today.
0: Sure, and I would say there's a lot of confidence and comfort. You're a good listener. You're very observant, very people person. And that comes from somewhere. And maybe for you, it came from needing to have those skills.
1: Absolutely. Because I would have any opportunity to connect with someone outside, I would. Yeah. Then that childhood really gave me the resilience for what I then needed later on in life. There you go which we can get to that yes we will but um yeah so i'm still super grateful um as hard as it was as crazy as it was it is what it is that's beautiful i can either sit here and reflect on it and think why me or you know and i did and i did do that for a little bit but then i was like nah fuck that like i need to take back that power and own it
0: When we hear the rest of your story, I think it will make a little more sense why it's so important to hear all of this. Yeah. So at what point did you realize you've moved out of your father's grasp and you're in a, a little better environment, though clearly not great? Is it between 13 and 18 that you start to question maybe your sexuality?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. When I went and lived in Cobram, I started to then, but in high school... I was so into girls and that scene that I didn't think about boys or anything like that. Okay. And, you know, I would always have the whole growing up people like, are you gay? This. I'm like, no, because I didn't know at that time. And I also, there's like (laughs) this thing with me that I don't want to be and I don't want to do what people tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And so part of me was like just shutting it off because I was like, I'm not going to be what you want me to be. But in high school, I also figured out (laughs) to get with girls easier. They assumed I was gay, so I would get in their circle, would-be best friends. Then I would get with girls. That was my way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a little trick. And it
0: worked. I've only ever heard that from men who straight men who are flamboyant or like just naturally have that kind of charisma and charm that they've been able to use it to their power or like ballet dancers who are straight who are like, yeah, that's how I got in. Did you enjoy it? Is it a part of something that you really enjoyed back then?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Nothing wrong. I was then with a girl for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, Once we broke up, which is a great story, we'll get there. Once we broke up is when I started to explore and when I started to think. Okay. So the main reason we broke up is it was back in high school around year 12 was when snapchat came out yep snapchat was a big thing and it was also those days in snapchat being quite new people had random weird usernames you wouldn't question it you would just accept everyone yes i accepted this person who happened to be a gay male from america was it you no, it was kidding. me <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so they, I didn't know who it was. I accepted him. Then I remember being at school. They started sending like frisky photos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they knew I was in school then I probably didn't tell them. And I was like, whoa. So I showed my friends. I remember my friend grabbed the phone and started like sexting a little bit. with This guy. And it was just a laugh. We were having sure. fun with it. Sure. It was great. And then, you know, he, he would still message me and I never deleted him. So that to me is like the sign. Okay. And so I just kept him there. Never really spoke. Um, I just, yeah, left it there. Anyways, for some reason, my girlfriend at the time went into my Snapchat. And he had sent a message. I don't know what it was. And so she found had found out that I had been sexting him, but yeah. it, in that moment, it wasn't actually me. It was my friends having a joke. Sure. But I still left him there and she saw those messages. So that's why we broke up and then wow. and then ah, uh, yeah. But in that time it actually wasn't me, it was my friend. In saying that I still left him there. So there's a reason why.
0: You're subconscious, do you think? Like there was yeah. some part of you. Cause I've had a lot of those experiences on the other side where, you know, you're trying to test the waters with a straight guy because you're not sure and they don't seem to want to back away from it, or they're not they're not drawing that line. And so you're left confused because they seem to not care and they're confused because they don't hate it. So I, I, I understand that. That feels like a textbook. Yeah. Your, your subconscious is going, I'm just going to park yeah. that over there. We'll deal with it later.
1: Exactly. And that's what I did. And when we broke up, um, uh, especially coming straight out of high school, that was when I started to explore down the or I did all those things. Okay. Um, and then I realized, I then never really told anyone um and it just part of me was probably trying to protect my mas- masculinity or um not give in to what people were saying or i don't know but i i also hated talking about my personal life with people or my dating or um those sorts of conversations so i just kept it quiet until i started dating this guy okay. when i was like 20 so yeah, I kept it kept it in.
0: I mean, honestly, I'm not a therapist. Definitely not trained. But it makes sense to me. It does. It's not like you had unbelievable examples around you of, like, openness.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I don't know so much. We've had some beautiful First Nation guests on the show before, and we've been able to talk a little bit about different mobs or relationships to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. an interesting uh, culture in the sense that there are parts of the. First Nations community that are very very accepting. Some of our earliest examples of non-binary humans come from Aboriginal storytelling, mm. and then there's other parts of the community that are incredibly homophobic. Yes. What was your experience like, and would that have shaped you wanting to talk about being? Yeah. Different? Well,
1: well, I didn't really grow up with a with a culture of okay. First Nations. Got it, so, got, it, got it. Sorry. So basically, uh, when my grandfather back back a few, um, they had to lie that they were aboriginal okay in order to basically survive and to get through yep so we yeah we lost our culture
0: severed tiles yeah i get it yeah okay.
1: so I, I think from 13 you know when i'd go to school and i'd be in there they had a little group for first nation students and would go and do little um like art and just yarn together yeah that was when i started like leaning into my culture and sort of learning more so i was never really around culture so that wouldn't have been um anything different i just i guess i never felt a connection with any of my family or anyone from around me Mm -hmm. to actually want to talk because i was always there was always a safety net up and i was in always survival mode so i was just doing what i had to do to survive um basically
0: wow when we talk about the coming out experience on this show, and I guess in general, what people often think is the moment you get a chance to tell your parents. Now, obviously, may she rest in peace. You don't get to have that conversation with your mother. Um, I'm sure, have you spent any time wrapping your head around what she would have thought?
1: No, no. Nah. Because I don't think she would have cared. I, th- I think my mom just like, was I don't know she was just always so happy and um anything I would do she loved so (laughs) I think even when I was a little shit like I was a hard friggin' uh toddler and I know I was like I would get on a three four-wheeler at the age of three and nip down the paddock (laughs) I would jump on her horse and go for a ride if like my dad would chase after me when I did something naughty I'd be like oh yeah just go jump on the horse you can't catch me like I gave him hell. So mm, she still crazy. loved everything I did. So I don't think she would ever ever have an issue. Yeah. But I have thought about it. I'm like, oh, I wonder. Or I even wonder back then if she ever had a suspicion.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering too. Like she obviously yeah. thought you were extremely special and you are. But sometimes there is an intuition that parents have. I have intuitions about my children that you cannot tell me are wrong. I just know. Absolutely. These and I, yeah. You know, she died when you were eight, you said? Yeah, you know that's some of those fundamental years that my parents said they knew by that by then, a hundred
1: percent, both of them. So I, yeah. I wouldn't
0: be shocked if maybe,
1: just maybe. Mm, I wonder that, but then I'm like, I was a very, very masculine, like, mm. very cis boy when I was growing up okay. up until like ten. Have um, you
0: ever had a chance to tell any other family, or did you really kind of sever ties? Uh, like, for example, does your father
1: know anything about your truth? My dad, yeah, he does now. Okay. Um, my two sisters has a relationship with them. And I know when I came out to them, I was like, oh, like I know one sister's got a big mouth. Um, and I was like, he's not to know, like, I don't, I just never wanted to cross that line. And I was like, he's not in my life. I'm not in his, I got a restraining order on him when I ran away, like I just wanted nothing to do with him. Yep. So I, I put up those boundaries, but they were, he still would have known. I don't know what he thinks or what he's said or okay. anything like that. How did your sisters respond? They were chill. Oh, good. Everyone was so chill. So how it happened is basically, I was on Tinder one day, matched with this guy. We met up for coffee. So he was from the UK, but he was just traveling here in Australia. And yeah, I don't know. It was just like this thing that really… um like an awakening for me because i never thought back then i was still sort of like finding figuring out what was happening i was sexually attracted to men but i had never felt a connection or feelings for another man so i was like i don't know what's happening here is it just a sexual thing is it just an intimate thing yeah was something um that yeah i was still trying to figure out and i was very picky with um men and doing anything so I was still figuring that when I met him and we went out for coffee I was like oh okay there's a connection here like I felt it now and I had never experienced that before and so um yeah he was in Melbourne at the time I was living in Cobram so I went back home to Cobram I was like hey like um cuz you're from the UK like if you ever want to see koala or kangaroo come down to Cobram for the weekend and so he came down to Cobram and we spent the whole weekend together and i remember the day i had to take him back to the train station to get to melbourne i like woke up like nearly crying i was like i don't like that was so hard for me to like get rid of him in a way and we yeah i i didn't know how he felt as well i just like really fell into this connection Mm. and then um i dropped him off at the train station it was horrible but then he was still in australia for like another month so what i would do is wherever he was on the weekend i would go and we would spend the time together and then i remember he one day was just like so what are we going to do i was like oh, sh- sh- i don't know <laughs> so i had a conversation he was going to san francisco then he was going back to the uk and yeah so I was like okay well you go to San Fran when you get back to the UK I'll come so I was sort of dating seeing this guy yeah yeah, it was yeah and I was so excited and you know I wanted to tell everyone around me um so I told my cousin she was like my sister at the time she was the first person I told and I had actually my best friend at the time was the first person I told and what I did with her is I played around for like months. Tested the like, waters. Oh, yeah, just to see. And she was bisexual too. So I was like, why am I scared? Like mm. it made no you sense. You knew she was bisexual? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. She yeah, was, yeah, it was full more, open. More
0: fearful for yourself,
1: I guess, then. Yeah, just to that. let it out. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I'd be like, oh, I'm talking to this boy. Just kidding. Oh, do you think he's hot? I do. Just, yeah, I was joking. I was, was like, I don't even know. Yeah. And so i told her she's like okay i was like oh are you not surprised she's like you've been joking around for months like i for sure knew like that you weren't joking but like the third time you showed me the same guy wow i'm like okay sure so yeah my my cousin who was like a sister to me at the time was the first person i told that was so scary it was like 6 30 a.m in the morning i was like hello i need to tell you something on the phone, I was like, H- "No, just texting." Got it. And I was like, "You need to hurry up and reply because if you like reply too late, I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> and so, yeah, I told her, and she was like, "Oh, yeah, this was I knew something like this was coming." And she had actually met him, so when she met him, um, she was like, "Oh yeah, I knew straight away." So um, that I was like dating him at the yeah. time, and then um, yeah, the next one was my auntie that I had sort of grown up with. And um, that I ran away to when I left my dad. And so she was the one I was so scared about. because so I looked at her as a mother figure at the time. Of course. So it was like telling my mom. And so I messaged her. I was like, hey, there's something I need to tell you. And she kept trying to call me. I'm like, no, I don't want you to call me. I just want you to... um, I'll text it to you. Then you can call me. Because I just wouldn't even know what to say on the phone. And so... She kept trying to call me. I'm like, well, I'm not doing it. And then I just text her. I'm like, I sort of have a boyfriend. And then she called me. Oh, you. She was like, you fucking idiot. I thought you got a girl pregnant or something. You had me panicking. (laughs) So she had no idea. Yeah. But But clearly it didn't matter as much as getting a girl pregnant.
0: Yeah, apparently. And she was okay?
1: She was okay. But then the next one was my uncle. And that was the hard one. And so I knew it was going to be a difficult conversation for him because he I don't I just knew and we had never discussed anything about that or anything like that and so I said to her I was like right I will tell him I'll tell him in person you don't need to tell him it's my business like you know Then about a week later she calls me and she goes so I've told him I was like why I, that was the one I wasn't really too prepared for yeah and she's like got it out of me. I'm like, whatever. So he gets on the phone and he goes, Yeah, so I don't really care, but um, you know, if you ever have a boy over, you're not to like touch him or hug him or kiss him or I don't want to see any of that. And I was like, Hmm, okay. So and I just said to him, I was like, look, if it was a girl or a boy or whoever it was, I p- probably wouldn't do that in a family setting anyways, as such. Like I'm just not that type of person to have have it over the top. Yeah. And so um I said but if I wanted to I damn well will. I don't care what you think. And he was like well I don't want to see it. I was like I don't care what you don't want to see. If you don't want to see look away. That's really your problem not mine. I love So that. yeah. Um yeah, but then the the big one was my nan, which I didn't tell to like last year. We
0: are building up higher and higher and higher, aren't yeah, we? Yeah,
1: just keeps going. Okay,
0: so the nan, were you nervous about nan?
1: Yeah, I didn't tell her till last year. Okay, and why didn't um, you tell her? So she she's very religious. Yep, I just didn't know what her um what her thoughts were around it, and so I was so nervous mm-hmm. and um basically. I, um, last year had a, about two months before I told her, had a conversation with her and, you know, she would take me to Sunday school. And I remember there was this boy that she bought, um, around from Sunday school for like a play day and we played Xbox and stuff together. Now, the second he left, I looked, I was like, you yeah, know, he's gay. <laughs> to her. Yeah. To her. Yeah. She's like, what? I was like 10 and she's like, what? I was like, he's so gay can't you tell i just knew he was mm-hmm. so two months before i actually came out to her she was was sitting there and she goes oh do you remember from sunday school yep and straight away i'm like he's come out oh yeah and did she goes yeah yep yeah. and she and she's gone you know so he just came out as gay i was like oh okay and she's like so how did you know all those years ago And I felt like saying, babe, it was me (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, oh, like I I I could just tell, Mm. you know. And then she went on the whole thing saying um, that, what do you call it? His parents aren't telling people. He went to therapy about it, which good. I'm glad he went to therapy, but that's sad. Yeah, That he felt that like he couldn't tell anyone. They're not telling people um so don't tell anyone and all this stuff and i was like whoa and then at the end of that sentence she's gone yeah it's pretty sad and i thought Damn. i challenged it i was like what's sad and she goes, oh you know this guy i'm like yeah but what about that and i up until she said that sad i was gonna be like oh yeah me too yeah that just like put me down and so she didn't unpack anything and then she's gone oh they wouldn't be like having sex or anything i looked i was like what and i was like it's a man in his 20s that has a boyfriend they're having sex yeah it's easier for her to not think about it i was like what are you talking about mm. she ended the conversation i was like i'm not even going to bother and the only reason why i didn't bother i was like Do you know what she's grown up to be taught these beliefs yeah i don't believe she actually believes that i just feel like that's all internalized yeah around her Around her years when she grew up, growing up as a Christian, going to the church. Mm. I don't think she actually believes or thinks any of that. I'm not going to push it. That's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Then um, I filmed an episode for first dates. It didn't go to air. And so I remember leading up to that, I was either going to be put with a boy or a girl. Yep. And I thought, Fuck! Like I'm hoping with the girl, so I don't have to tell my nan. Mm. But then I'm like, oh, if they put me with the guy, great! I can finally tell her. And then I'm like, but how do I tell her? And I was just hoping that was going to be the easy, the easy way, and it was. And so went and filmed the episode. Was with the boy. And I thought, well, she's going to see it on TV, which I could have kept quiet <laughs> because it didn't go to air, yeah, anyways. Exactly.
0: But it was a, hey. But you got to come out,
1: so it's a win-win. <laughs> it, exactly, and it was exactly what I wanted because I, I thought. I would call her. She knew I was filming it, and she would be like, "What was she like? All this sort of stuff." And that's exactly what the conversation was. And then I stopped and said, "No, actually, it was a he." On which I had it on video, and she's like, "Oh, why on earth would they do that?" Uh-huh. And I was like, "Well, because I told them they could, boy or a girl." And they chose a the boy. And she was, oh, "Okay, what was he like? Did you like him?" And I was like not how I expected anything to go. No, all of these interactions. And she just went are, with it. Wow.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You said something about you not believing that she believed it. And I was nodding along for those of you mm-hmm. who can't see my face. Because I, I believe in my bones that often what it takes is someone being connected to someone who's different to challenge their actual values and beliefs. And part of me thinks the love of a grandchild. Ah, uh, the second, like it's sad because it's someone else's problem. That's what she said about that other boy. It's sad. Yeah. Oh, it's sad for their parents. And also, it is sad if you're much older and you have been around for that long. You have gone through history and seen how sad it is to be gay. And it's not yes. unjust, is it? it? Right? And so you would be like, oh, that's sad for them and sad for their family. And it's just sad. And so she's not wrong. I mean, she would be wrong now mm. seeing how wonderful our lives can be. And then the moment that it's someone that she knows and loves it's forced to become a problem for her to to deal with
1: you know exactly and i and i don't think i think i was right in saying that she didn't actually believe that because she never said anything like that when it happened to me i think it was just yeah it was just her way of talking about it and what they would have been talking about at church maybe like um yeah so that when i did it was just a normal conversation mm. which i was so shocked by and that was my most like i was like wanting to vomit mm. When you're coming out to all these people,
0: and I'm sorry that I didn't ask it sooner, are you coming out as bisexual? Are you coming out as pansexual? Mm. Are you coming out as no labels at all and just talking Mm -hmm. about liking everyone? Like what are the words that you're using throughout all these conversations?
1: Initially, went with bisexual. Now, I would still say bisexual just to, I don't know, I just find it an easy way to explain it. But I'm pretty fluid. Like if I'm attracted to someone, if I like someone, done whether they're non-binary or they're trans or anything I'm I'm open to anyone as long as there's a connection and there's a level of attractiveness great so I usually just say bisexual just because it's like you know boy girl but really I'm sort of fluid like
0: I don't really yeah my husband who has been on this podcast so if people have been listening they're gonna see a lot of similarities in the two of you which is great uh in like not liking rules and not liking yeah. labels and not, and not making sense to both of you. Like, yeah. it's like, that's cool if that's what you need, but I don't need that. And I yeah. think once you understand that about a person, it is a lot easier to be like, okay, well then those labels and those, that doesn't matter. But it does sound like you're on a journey and I'm excited that mm. we, we get to meet with you at this stage. It'll mm. be exciting to talk to you in a couple of years and see where you're yeah. at. Because it yeah. is a journey. We're all on a journey. Yeah.
1: Especially with like the coming out journey. Now this leads into like another story in itself because visually you can't say I'm an amputee, but I am an amputee. And I, so I lost my leg to cancer three years ago. Yes, And so I got diagnosed with cancer a week after I had come out. No, you did not. Abs like, no, James. like not kidding. So the guy I was seeing at the time, he had flew off to San Francisco. From Sydney, so the whole cancer thing was mi- misdiagnosed. I was ten months on a waiting list um, for a benign tumor that they thought I had. Okay. I went in to have this procedure to remove the tumor that they thought was there. Yep. During that procedure, they knew straight away it was cancer. They didn't tell me anything. They just took some samples. Yep. I left the hospital. I got on a plane right straight away to Sydney. Went and met them in Sydney. That was their last weekend in Australia. And they didn't tell you anything? So you're just like living your life? They just left me, yep.
0: Oh, that doesn't seem good at all. I
1: know, I know. I get it in a way because like, if they had told me, I would have went to Sydney and had the worst time of my life. Sure, and they needed to check to do a diagnosis to be able to give you an accurate result. Exactly. Okay. Make me not stress. Like, I'm okay with that. I I did think it initially. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But now I'm like, nah, totally. Get it. Yeah, so I'd come out went to sydney they went to san fran i came home i got the phone call got the phone call that it was cancer mm. and i think leading right up to then obviously everything hap- i think everything does happen for a reason Sure. that whole journey i was going on just led me to be comfortable for that next journey that was about to come wow. which was being diagnosed with cancer and i think Up until then, you know, I was 21, so I was constantly trying to like find myself. I found myself then. I was so confident in who I was and what I was doing, but I always felt like there was something missing and that I wasn't my, I don't know, whole self and I wasn't doing what I was actually supposed to be doing. So when I got cancer... I was like, this is it. Like, I know that sounds crazy. I was like, this is… doesn't sound crazy at all. What was supposed to happen? I had chemo for three months. At 21 years old. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago. Now, now after all you've gone through, but I'm just thinking about the life you had and then that happening at so young. Most people haven't even lost anyone in their life by
1: the time they're 21. Yeah. The worst thing that ever
0: happened to them is they got a bad score on their final exam,
1: (laughs) you know? Yeah. yeah so i think that childhood built me up Mm. to be resilient to have all those skills and sense of self then i went through like that little journey and sort of you know became myself and found myself and who i was Mm -hmm. then that happened i was like this is all just leading up to what was supposed to be happening and what i was supposed to do i know in this world yeah and so i had chemo for three months and then they're like oh so the cancer ended up spreading around the whole ankle joint so we're going to have to amputate and even in that conversation my nan was with me I was like okay cool really yeah so as part of ignorance when you would google my cancer it would always say amputation okay and i would say that that freaked me out because they just said bone graft i would always ignorantly say to my friends if the foot goes i go i'm not doing it Leading up to that appointment, I really thought about it, and I just knew it was going to happen. Someone's telling me. I came okay with it, and I was never upset. So when it got to that appointment, I just knew it was coming. I had one appointment, and they gave me the receipts for the the receipts <laughs> for um the the appointments, the times. Two came out. I was like, ah, uh, okay, I know it's going to happen. Okay. And they said amputation. I was like, all right, no worries. How did you
0: make the leap from saying if it goes I go to I do you even know? Are you able to reflect back and go something happened between I, those things?
1: I think the easiest way to explain that was a level of ignorance okay. on what what it would be like or having a disability yeah. and associating myself with that. Okay. I think it was that. As I remember when I told my friend that they were gonna have to amputate, all my friends were so worried because I hadn't said that. And I wish I hadn't have said that, but I think it was slowly becoming okay with it and knowing that that was going to happen. And I remember she said to me, it's just going to be your new normal. I was like, duh. Mm-hmm. And that was something that really stuck with me. And so, yeah, I was totally fine. Um, yeah, when, when that happened, I remember I was with my Nan. Bless her heart. She was like crying and of like crying. Of like, course. And I was like, "Nan, shut up!" Like they're trying to talk to me. <laughs> oh. It's fine. Um. Yeah. And in the room, there was just like this awkward them staring at me, and I was like, "All right, I'll sign it now. That's fine." Just when's it going to happen? Like
0: oh, in five days. And five <laughs> days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's
1: do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it happened.
0: Wow. And then, yeah. So on that journey from you losing your leg to where you are today where you're very public you are seen in your full beautiful body walking on runways and in pictures and working with brands in a very public and brave that's the wrong word but like that's how people perceive it yeah there's obviously like a big transition that occurs in your confidence did it take a while or was it something? It seems like in that moment you made a decision. So once it happened, did that carry with you that confidence of this is my new normal? That one sentence she said?
1: No. <laughs> okay. It's easier said than done. Yeah. You know, I think when it had happened, you know, I was still going, undergoing treatment and having chemo right up to the end of the year. So I had another six months of that. Yeah. During that, I didn't have time to think about any of that. Um, so it didn't bother me. When I finished treatment and my hair started growing back and I was starting to feel like myself, that's when it hit and that's when it was hard. And the only thing that was difficult was I was, ash- I was ashamed of having a disability. Um, I struggled to identify as having a disability because there's so much negative and sad attachment or association with the word disabled and I didn't align with it and it didn't yeah. fit right with me. Yeah. and you know, I had all these people saying, I'm so sorry for you, that's so sad. Oh, that's so sad. Like, no, it's not. I have a great life. It's not sad. Like, why now? Because I have one leg or one foot or whatever the hell. Why is my life sad now? Mm. It's like, I'm not sad. I ha- It took me a while to sort of own that identification as now becoming a disabled man and taking back the power of what disabled meant because if we go back to it, when I said, if the foot goes, I go, there you go. It just comes down to that. It yeah. was the ignorance and the shame yeah. of having their disability. The shame. Then when I snapped out of that, I was like, mm. this was supposed to happen. This is supposed to be who I am. It's now my job to provide that representation for that disabled community so they don't feel like that. Because yeah. no one else should have to feel like that. I want to take back the power. I want to rewrite the narrative that having a disability is sad because that's bullshit. I was like, everyone has struggles in their life. Why now? Because I have a prosthetic leg. That my life is a whole struggle. Like, because it's not. Mm. You know, I remember about two years ago, I was having an ultrasound and, you know, the radiographer was asking me what happened with my leg and all these sorts of things. And and I just wait for it now. Now it's sort of okay, but it gets to a, a stage where someone's like, that's so sad. And they just pity me. Yeah, And I, I hate it because it's like, you've just, reiterated that it is sad and that you think my life is sad and so i looked at her i was like so what's sad because i was great bitchy mood yeah not a bitchy mood and a great mood yeah i was like now i'm just going to start to challenge it so i want people to actually think about what they're saying Mm. and so she was oh like you know that you lost your leg right okay what's sad and she had no words i said look i'm not offended I don't really care i just care that you have that perception and if i was someone who was struggling with the loss of my limb which is totally fair or someone that was coming to terms with that or had a very traumatic experience and um accident you've just reiterated that my life is sad my life's not sad yeah i was like my life's probably better than yours so next time you say that Mm, be careful yeah good I think it's nice
0: because it's a reminder that your words have power and your words can have a a deathly impact on someone's life and you might not know. it. So thrusting your understanding of their life through the lens of your personal experience can be really dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing that was really making me struggle because I was like, I don't, I don't align with that. And I don't want people to think that of me and I don't want to be ashamed. And yeah, just like that was my mm. the biggest thing. Even when I entered back into dating after having an amputation, like obviously I'm not sitting in the hospital bed like peace signing, taking new photos for my Tinder profile. Yeah. Obviously they all have two legs. It gets to a conversation where I had to be like, oh just, you know, I have one leg. <laughs> like
0: Yeah. Um can we unpack this a little bit further? Because yeah. if you were like a normal straight person, I meant, I meant normal straight. <laughs> if you were straight. I would probably feel uncomfortable asking you this, but because our yeah. community our community ha- is dangerous in one part. Actually, it's dangerous in two parts. It's dangerous because there are really specific standards that a majority of the community has that a lot of us don't fit in. When I first moved to Sydney, some guy came up to me at a gay bar and said, you need to gain weight or lose it. You can't be stuck in the middle. Like, there's that energy in the gay community. You don't have enough muscles. You don't have, you're too this. You're in a wheelchair. You. you you're eyes are to fall apart, like a very superficial idea of what it means to be a man. And and gays can be pretty aggressive towards each other about that. And so there's that hovering above you. And then there's this other thing hovering above you, which I know because I've done research into this community and mental health, which is the fetishization of people who are different. uh, And the fact that there are people who are obsessed with sexualizing anyone who's disabled, And so both of those things hover in my brain as someone who's interested in getting to know you further. And I'd love for you to maybe unpick for me as you're going about dating and telling your truth and speaking about your leg and then maybe at some point feeling comfortable showing the full pictures. Are you meeting those terrible humans or meeting those people? Maybe not terrible is the wrong word, but meeting people who have ulterior motives that have nothing to do with who you are as a person, but instead what you look like.
1: Yes, and I share a lot of it on my Instagram. Um, So initially, like, coming out and entering back into dating wasn't too bad. I actually did find, though, that people who were interested in me and wanted to take me on dates were nurses. Oh. Yeah. I remember talking about to my auntie, who's a psychologist, and she was like, James, are you drawing the line here? Like, are you connecting the dots? And I was like, true. I didn't think about it. Yeah. And I was like, is this their sort of, like, their profession and their caring nature coming into their dating. like Wow, I've never made that yeah, connection it was, myself. Yeah, it was honestly more nurses um, entering back into the dating scene. I do remember, though, someone blocked me on Grindr. Um, they were very interested in me and they are like, you, we know the culture of Grindr. And yeah, the second I said I have one leg, blocked. Mm. Now, that person came back about a year ago they've they've slid back into my dms yeah and i didn't even realize they were following me because i know exactly who they are and they came back and i'm like why are you coming back like am i more attractive now like i don't know like and Mm. i think maybe i am a little bit (laughs) um and so i was like i replied i'm like no get out of these dms yeah i didn't say that you had your chance but i was like no and they're like oh, I'm like, don't message me again. And they're like, why? I'm like, because you literally blocked me on Grindr when I said I had one leg. And now you think you ha- like you have the audacity to come back. No.
0: So, ha- so how do you weed that out as someone dating and looking for authentic love? Like, are there questions that you can ask to kind of get people out of the way or to find out their truth?
1: I, I sort of, I, I think the best way to explain it is if their first questions or the first conversation is around the leg, they're actually interested in me rather than just the leg. So. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. That's really so, insightful, yeah. Because there's, you know, people on Tinder or people on Grinder, and you, you may have seen it because I do share it, and I share it I've in… I've seen the screenshot conversations, yes. One, I think it's fucking funny. It is. Because I get to make a stupid joke. Mm. But two, I share it in edu- in an educational way so people can see what people with a disability have to live with and how they have to navigate dating. This is actually quite hard. Yeah. Um. Like I and I just got over people messaging me, sorry. What, ha- what happened to your leg? What happened to this? Blah blah blah. Because you're not actually wanting to get to know me. You just want to get to the to the joke, or you just want to know. Like you're just nosy. Like you're not actually trying to find anything about me. Because if you're interested, that wouldn't be your first point of conversation, mm. and it wouldn't be the first thing that you pick apart. Because there's many elements to me than just having one leg. Yeah. And if that's the element you want to go in, it's just because you want to know the story. So what I do to those people is I make, I make up these bizarre stories just to fuck with them and, you know, just to like have a bit of fun and I do, yeah, I share them on Instagram, but they're sort of, they're very, f- it happens quite a lot, but I say very few, um, but generally I haven't had too, too much of a hard time, but I have had, it happened yesterday actually, Ooh. um, some like fetishes, like someone commented on my TikTok and was like, can you show me your stump? Wow. I was like, babe, pay me and I will.
0: I mean, I have a real honest question then. Yeah? Because it's happened to a lot of us. There are certain people who have a specific type and they want to yeah. go after people that really turn them on. And I yeah. I wouldn't say that there's anything wrong with someone only wanting no. to sleep with guys with a beard or only wanting to be with someone who's black. Like I've, I've never been like solely judgmental of that. Um, and so when people ask you that question... Do you, are are there moments where you're not offended? Like sometimes where you're just like, this is hot. And like, they want me and I want them. And like, let's do this. Is that okay? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, there is. Because I think, you know, especially the last couple of people that I have sort of like seen have never asked. And I'm like, one, have you just gone onto my Instagram and found out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is on there. I talk about it. Or are they being respectful? Mm. And so eventually when we do get to that conversation, which is usually when we meet in person, yeah, 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 and I'm also probably the one that wants to get it out more because I'm like, I know, I feel like they're waiting for an opportunity. And it's like, don't wait for an opportunity, just ask. If you want to know, ask. Yeah, Because that's the respectful time. Yeah. To message someone straight up like, and be like, why do you have one, like what happened to your leg? It's like me coming up to someone with a mole on their face, like why do you have a mole on your face? Mm. I would never do that. And you would never ask one that because that's a dumb question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just find it disrespectful. And, you know, I think it's also important to consider other people with a disability that do have traumatic accidents. Having to relive that trauma is not fair. Yes. And so when people message you and that's their first conversation, it's actually really disrespectful. And I find it I don't like it at all. Um, obviously, there is a point i'm told and i'm so open about it so you know to hear it's sort of conflicting in a way because i'm so open about it but then i'm like nah it, i think it's more dating scene yeah, yeah. where i'm like nah, go yeah. because you're just messaging me. you just want to know um like even people would just say like a joke and be like oh um someone messaged me i can't even remember what it was but um someone was like wanting to do sexual stuff with my stump i'm like no i'm like and I replied, I'm like, please stop messaging me for a joke because it's actually not nice. Yeah. Or there was someone who messaged me about a month ago and, um, you know, if you're not interested in someone, you sort of ignore it. And look, it was on Grinder, and I know the culture that Grindr brings and the toxicity that it has along with it, but it still doesn't make it okay for someone to, you know, that I haven't replied to, get offended and be like, yeah, whatever, peg exactly. leg. Like, mm. peg leg. I'm like, that's not fine. Like... You think that's okay. Like, it's not okay. And
0: why do they think it's um, okay? goes back to the very... This is how we're going to end this conversation because it's the perfect bow into this yeah. whole story, which is if there aren't, if there isn't representation, if people aren't going out there, I think that's why what I meant when I said I love when you post it. It's funny because you're putting them in an uncomfortable situation, but it's also empowering because you're educating them. So exactly. I, I think this was a hard story to kind of sit through and hear the truth of, of where you're at, but what you get to do now and, and your role in Australian society, and then hopefully globally as it grows is to just raise awareness around the reality of what it means to be a queer person who is dating, who is having sex, who is working as a professional. And so I thank you, I thank mm-hmm. you for your on- honesty. Um, and, and I just know so many people are gonna be excited to watch the rest <laughs> of the journey so thank you yeah thanks thank if you. people want yeah. to find you and ask you more questions because there's so much to unpack here at where can they find you
1: yeah just um, my Instagram so underscore James Parr uh, P-A-R-R um, Instagram's probably my most accessible and the one I use most so yeah if anyone wants to jump on ask any questions or continue the chat go for it amazing thank you so much thank you
0: Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus18 are on all socials at Minus18Youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527-43 every everyday from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the "Come Out Wherever You Are" community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zepps. That's S E A N S Z E P S. "Come Out Wherever You Are" is presented by me, Sean Zepps. Our lovely producer is Lindsey Grain. Our executive producer is Lama Zaharia, and we can't forget our audio producer, Chris Mosh. See you soon.